This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He comes up with the whole scheme as to why, if he gets caught in customs with all this piss, basically, right. why he's got it with him, bringing it back to Russia. And he sits here at my kitchen table, uh, codes my urine, and smuggles it back to Moscow. And I truly had a, oh my God, moment. Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast, episode 13. We've got to dive right into this one because this episode is very different than all the rest. Because you may not have heard of filmmaker Brian Fogle, at least not yet, but you will soon. And his documentary, Icarus, is an absolutely insane look at doping in sports, a journey that started with Fogel looking to replicate what so many professional cyclists have done before and ends in a place, well, I'll let this clip explain. The idea that I had was to prove the system in place to test athletes was bullshit. When I started on this, I certainly didn't know what it was going to lead to. I had Gregory. He had helped me dope. You would like to beat doping test? Gregory, the Moscow scientist I've shown you, who did all the testing for Sochi, was going to test my samples through his WADA lab in Moscow. I was helping to facilitate one of the most elaborate doping pools in the sport history. Wait, wait. Okay, let's back up one sec here. Were you the mastermind that cheated the Olympics? Yes. And that set off this whole chain of events. Ryan sat down with me in studio to chop it all up and to tell the story of how a stand-up comedian and actor turned amateur cyclist unknowingly uncovered the biggest scandal in the history of sports. So pot up. Episode 13 begins right after this word from Omaha Steaks. Listen, are you struggling to find the perfect gift for somebody who has it all? I've got the answer for you. It's Omaha Steaks. Every single time I've given Omaha Steaks as a gift, I've been a legend. Every time I've received Omaha Steaks as a gift, I have felt like a legend. It is a can't miss. I love this product. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for only $49.99, you can get my family gift pack where you go to omahasteaks.com and you enter my code name Rome in the search bar. That'll get you 75% off. Omaha Steaks offers unique gifts for gourmet food lovers. And right now, Omaha Steaks is giving an exclusive savings just to you. Clones. Listen to everything that you will get for less than 50 bucks. Check this out two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, and four additional kielbasa sausages for free. To get this incredible offer, go to omahasteaks.com and enter my code Rome in the search bar and get a 75% savings. It is a gift that is guaranteed to be a hit. Omaha Steaks. You know, there's definitely a love-hate relationship with the voicemail. You love it. I hate it. But I do not have time to fight you on it this week because Brian Fogel was kind enough to actually crash our house and do this episode in studio. So, let me just hurry up, get this bullshit over with, and clear the tape on my machine so I can get Brian in here and we can do something worthwhile. You have 15 new messages. First new message. I hope when I hear this next week that I'm not deleted. But either way, goddammit, bro, keep the voicemail on the podcast. Message saved. Next message. Matt in LA here. What the hell is a shave club doing providing ass wipes? Like, seriously. What the hell does that have to do with it? Peace out, Van Smack. Message deleted. Next message. What up, Rome? It's Matt in Vancouver calling. Just raising a frosty glass of Grey Goose to my guy, Doc Halliday. Filthiest picture I ever saw. 
and uh, happy Veterans Day, fam. Peace. Message saved. Next message. Oh, what's taking them so long? Hey, give me a quick hit of that bong before he picks up. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Romy, what's going on, brah? I think the next guest you should have on the show should be the Insane Clown Posse. ICP for life. Woo woo. Message deleted. Next message. Put another one. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Rome, hey, it's FBI Mike. Uh, I just want to say the podcast is really kicking ass, man, but uh, when are you going to have a hockey interview? I mean, if nothing else, you could have Jewel on to talk about how the NHL hired her to carve the names on the Stanley Cup with them uh, shark chicklets of hers. Who will save her grip? Message deleted. Next message. Rome, it's Luke in Fort Collins here, and uh, it seems that the Broncos are really only contenders when they have a quarterback that's a year away from ending his career and going to the Hall of Fame. I think what should happen is Elway reaches out to Peyton. Peyton reaches out to his brother Eli and says, Hey Eli, you're tired of New York? New York's tired of you? Why don't you shoot up in Bronco Blue next year instead of Giant Blue? Message saved. Next message. Hey Jim, Sam Rogers. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome, it's Toby in Houston. I'm at the Buffalo Bills game this weekend, and they're killing the Saints. End of the game, I look over, there's a crank right on the field. Buffalo streaker. Message deleted. Next message. Scott Tolzine. 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 Scott Tolzine, Scott Tolzine, Scott Tolzine. Message deleted. Next message. What up, Romy? Just calling to wish the Packer fans a merry, merry Christmas. They're going to have a lot of time to enjoy the holidays this season. Those fat, nasty Packer fans jumping off the bandwagon like a bunch of fat, lazy, terrible, Awful fans that they are. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome. Chris Forrester here. Miami would have a lot more giddy up if I was still with the team. Message deleted. You have no more messages. You know what? I'm going to shoot y'all straight. That was actually slightly better. Slightly. That was a less terrible effort than what I'm used to. So let's go glass half full with it. Let me lay out a couple of positives for you. I did not hear from Corey the Fart Man. I did not hear from Tommy Lasagna or even Corey Pavin. Instead of calling me hammered, you now call me stoned. And nobody was calling about Madison Baumgartner's ass or resetting Jeff in San Antonio crying. So that's at least something that we can start to build on. That's an improvement. Incrementally, but an improvement. Because if this voicemail does live to see yet another week, I might as well coach you guys up into making this something a little less terrible. So, for one day, good job, good effort, keep it up. Hey, if you travel for work, check this out. That business trip that you're about to book, do it over at Upside.com, and I'll give you two of the best gifts that anybody will give you this holiday season. The first is a free pair of Bose SoundLink wireless headphones so you can have some peace and quiet on your business trip. Second, I'm going to give you the gift of a better business travel experience, and that's what you'll get when you book your next business trip over at Upside.com. Here's why. Only Upside has customer service specialists who look out for you every step of the way on your business trip, handling any problem that might pop up. Their team is hard at work 24-7 to make sure that your flight, hotel, and rental car all go off without a hitch. They're available on demand by chat, by phone, and email whenever you need them. Now, here's how you get your free pair of Bose SoundLink wireless headphones. Book your first business trip at Upside.com and use my code Rome, and the Bose SoundLink wireless headphones are yours for free. That's code Rome at Upside.com to claim my gift to you. Bose SoundLink wireless headphones, just for trying Upside. It's just one more way Upside is looking out for you and helping to reduce the stress of business travel upside.com you deserve a better business trip minimum purchase required see site for complete details 
Brian Fogle is not just a filmmaker. He's a guy who set out to make a documentary about blood doping and cycling and ended up uncovering what might be the biggest scandal in sports history. His film, Icarus, was a huge hit at Sundance this year. By the time the first screening was over, a bidding war had broken out and Netflix shelled out $5 million for it, one of the biggest deals ever closed on a nonfiction film. Icarus, though, is not your standard doc. It's a deep dive into the Russian state-sponsored sports machine. It's one part spy novel, one part international thriller, one part, holy shit, I can't believe this is actually happening. You'll meet a top Russian scientist, Gregory Rodchenkov. He's the former head of the Anti-Doping Center in Moscow, a guy that was just supposed to give Fogel some tips on how to beat a drug test before a bike race, but instead ends up fleeing Russia for fear that he might be killed by the government because of everything he knows and because of an elaborate government doping system that goes back four decades. Nothing in Fogel's past prepared him for this journey. Certainly not his work as a stand-up comic, not his success as a playwright, not his time spent as an amateur cyclist. Hell, this wasn't even the film that he set out to make, but that's what makes this entire journey so amazing. You can stream Icarus on Netflix, but listen to Brian tell his story right now. It is fascinating. Well, what, what really inspired it was... Um... You know, the Lance's confession, Lance Armstrong's confession. And what I was looking at is here it was essentially January 2013. He's on Oprah. He's confessing. And outside of that confession, the world, the World Anti-Doping Agency, Sporting Federation, Cycling, they're all heralding this as this massive, like, essentially moment in history that they caught the bad guy. And I'm going to myself, wait, wait, wait. You didn't catch the bad guy. It was like catching Al Capone for tax evasion, right? right? They never got Al Capone on murder, racketeering, all the other things. They got him on tax evasion. And when you look behind the story, here's Lance. He's confessing, and he's confessing because all of his own teammates have ratted him out in exchange for their own immunity, who did the exact same thing that he did, who didn't get caught also— and to this day, Lance has passed 500 anti-doping controls clean, and my head is spinning. I'm literally going, wait, wait, how can the most tested athlete on planet Earth have managed to evade 500 tests without ever getting caught? And I start going, wait, as much as you might like to hate Lance Armstrong— and as many bad things that the guy did to other people in his fight to prove that he was clean and sue people and all this other kind of bad behavior, at the end of the day, I'm going, wait, is it Lance Armstrong's fault or is it the anti-doping system's fault, which essentially gave no athlete any choice as to whether or not they doped if they wanted to win, if the system itself is a fraud? So I set out basically with this notion that the anti-doping system in sport, not cycling, and all of sport is a fraud and that it's basically doesn't work. And it doesn't work because the most tested athlete on planet Earth had been able to evade positive detection for his entire career. And so I decided um, that I would essentially turn myself into a guinea pig um, I had early notions of finding a professional athlete that would essentially dope himself and we'd figure out a protocol and then he would show that the system didn't work. But as I approached various athletes, the obvious response was, great idea, dude. Um, I'm not throwing away my career to show that the anti-doping system doesn't work. And then as I was thinking to find like an amateur cyclist or something to go on this journey and that I would direct it, Again, I found that A, people were resistant to it, and B, that I wasn't going to be able to control, have control over the, over the subject. Anything could happen. So I decided that I would use myself as the subject, as the guinea pig, that I would dope myself. And the entire plan was to essentially show that the system didn't work and that I would also document how much better I would be able to perform as an athlete with the use of all these PEDs. And so it was kind of a, 
uh, an investigative supersize me journey, which I set out to make uh, when I started Icarus. So I was going to say a supersize me for cycling, which is exactly what it is. Now, assume that not everybody knows the story. So take us through this. Who is Dr. Gregory Rachenko? Well, the, the story essentially goes that um, I decide that I'm going to dope myself. And I decide essentially that I want to evade positive detection. And there's all these different variables in order to do that. And if you look at, let's say, the Lance Armstrong of it, what are the variables? Well, you need somebody to advise you. Like, what are you going to take? When are you going to take it? How much are you going to take? And, you know, how do you also know that you're going to be clean? And what is your washout period? Essentially, how long are these various substances going to stay in your body? You know, what can be detected? What is undetectable, etc.? So I get in touch with this scientist, Don Catlin, and um, if any of your listeners know who Don Catlin is, Don Catlin is now retired, um, basically created the drug testing for sport. He's the guy who did the very first testing for the Olympics in 1984. He's kind of considered the grandfather of anti-doping controls. He developed uh, so many of the tests that are still used today. And I contact Don Catlin and I tell Don Catlin this idea that, hey, Don, um, I'm, a, I'm an amateur athlete. I'm a filmmaker. I want to dope and avoid positive detection and show that the anti-doping system is a fraud. Can you help me do that? Are you in? And he goes, well, yeah, I can help you do that. And I agree with you. The anti-doping system doesn't work. Uh. And I'm the guy who invented the entire right. system. And, and it doesn't work. It does not work. And and in this conversation, I also asked Don, which was fascinating. I go, Don, what percentage of the world's athletes do you believe are doping? And Don says to me, all of them. All of them. And I said, and I said, well, how, how, how can you say all of them? Well, what does that mean? Don? Does that mean every Olympic athlete that we right. see is doping? But I said, I said, professional athlete, professional athletes. Everybody. He goes, he goes, all of them. I said, I said, you got to be kidding me. All of them can't be doping. He goes, well, no, I don't think all of them are doping, but I can't prove to you that they They're aren't not. doping. <laughs> so because I can't prove to you that they aren't doping, I just assume that, that they're they are. all doping. Wow. And so I go, wow, this is, this, is, this is even worse than I thought. So he originally agrees that he'll help me. And in this agreement, what clearly becomes uh, all these variables is, first of all, how are you going to get your samples into a WADA laboratory, right. a World Anti-Doping Agency laboratory? And the system is set up that you can't get your samples as an athlete, professional, amateur anyone into a WADA lab because if you were able to do that right you could just send in your samples and figure out okay I just took HGH six hours ago and they can't detect it sure. you know or right. or I took this I took that and so you can basically figure out how to how to game the, game system. the system so you can't get your samples into a WADA lab and Don Catlin who was retired no longer had that access and also he had his reputation on the line, and as he started to think about it, he's like, you know, this really probably, as much as I, I believe in your thesis, um, I don't want to be the guy to be your advisor. And then also you need a doctor. You need somebody to subscri- uh, prescribe you. How are you going to get the drugs? Long story short, he refers me to Dr. Gregory Rachenkov, who at the time is running the... World Anti-Doping Agency, the the WADA laboratory for Moscow. And Gregory, the the WADA lab for Moscow was the third largest anti-doping agency lab in the world. It was the newest. It had the most state-of-the-art equipment. And Gregory had just done all the testing for the Sochi Olympics. He also was doing all the testing for all international competitions coming into Russia, like the swimming world championships or athletic world championships or any, you know, international competition coming into Russia. And he was also handling the testing for all Russian athletes on the national team. And Don says, hey, I think this guy might help you. 
And uh, so I reach out to Gregory uh, via emails. Actually, Sochi Olympics are going on. This is now like February 2014. And, and I approach Gregory not as a guy who's going to dope himself, but purely as a filmmaker who's interested in making a documentary about the anti-doping system in sport and whether or not it works. Gregory and I correspond. I go you and Skype, meet him. right? Well, we eventually end up Skyping. But before that Skype call in Icarus... Um, he actually invites me to go meet him in Oregon in July of 2014. And he was lecturing at a symposium there uh, ahead of a world junior um, track and field athletic championships that were being held in uh, Eugene, Oregon that year. So I go in and meet him in Oregon. We hang out for a couple days. I don't bring my cameras. I don't bring a crew. And I asked Gregory, I said, hey, um, do you believe that an Olympic medal, a gold medal, can be won without the use of performance-enhancing drugs. And he looks at me and he goes, I should believe, I try to believe, I do not believe a gold medal in the Olympics can be won without performance-enhancing drugs. And then he takes this long pause and he goes, I don't know, maybe I'm a bad man. Mm. And um, needless to say, that was a shocking statement. It's amazing that this lab director right. who was ahead of right. of all the testing was was saying by the way this, who's running the quote anti-doping center which turned out to be the anti-anti-doping right. center right and he agrees that he will help me dope and help me evade positive detection Brian, but not why, only that, maybe we didn't know who that guy was at that time but why i'm not clear on this why would he agree to do that this to me is still um one of the the, the I, I get asked this question so many times, and I always go, um, I'm not sure. I, I think that, you know, Gregory, when when you see Icarus, and I'm sure Jim, as you've seen, he's he's kind of he's a savant. He's yeah. this genius, and he's funny, and he's likable, and he's like a a massive kind of uh, teddy bear with all sorts of secrets and who's also had a lifetime doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. Um, so even his agreeing to help me, which was against all of WADA code, was against any sort of laboratory code, which um, technically would have cost him his job, um, was surprising. But I think that he liked the cat and mouse of it, which is he knew that the system was broken. He knew the system was a fraud because he was inside the system manipulating the system. He knew better than anybody that essentially the system didn't work. And I think he liked the challenge of it. And because he saw me as a filmmaker and because he saw me as an amateur cyclist, I think he was able to disassociate from the reality that he shouldn't have ever been doing this to begin with. But the two of us formed a friendship. Um, we trusted each other. We really hit it off. And he agreed to help me dope. So let's be clear about this. Now, we're talking about the guy who masterminded a doping regimen for Russia, a program that produced an Olympic leading 13 gold medals. And here's a guy who now is in Los Angeles. He's in your kitchen. He's setting up the protocol. And he's getting ready to smuggle your urine back to Moscow. And again, he's doing it all in your kitchen what was that like? Well, this was um, absolutely surreal. At this point, I'd started doping right uh, about the time that he's then under investigation. WADA starts this investigation. This investigation runs from January 2014 to November 20. I'm sorry, January 2015 to November 2015, where they release the findings. And this investigation is essentially alleging that Russia has a state-sponsored doping program, that Gregory has a big part of this system, but the investigation is limited to only track and field, to athletics, because that's where the initial allegations were coming out of. And WADA didn't want to investigate all of Russia because they were scared what they were going to find, so they limit it to track and field. So while this investigation is going on, Gregory is advising me what to do, what to dope, when to take it. We're Skyping. I'm recording these Skype calls. And he comes to Los Angeles. And 
This is now May of 2015. And the reason why he comes to Los Angeles is he's told me that I need to collect all of my urine, my, uh, my basically steroid-filled piss. Your dirty urine. My dirty urine. And I need to collect it over a period of about a month, which I had been doing, in protocols and in variable and varying uh, uh, while taking a variation of substances. And the idea was to determine my washout period. So until he had my urine, he couldn't test how many days, how much time, what I could take, what I couldn't take. He couldn't essentially build my steroid profile. So he comes to Los Angeles. I have like 20 frozen urine containers would defrost the urine he comes up with the whole scheme as to why if he gets caught in customs with all this piss basically right why he's got it with him bringing it back to russia and he sits here at my kitchen table uh codes my urine and smuggles it back to moscow and i truly had a Oh my God moment. I just couldn't believe that this was an oh my God moment or a what the fuck moment. Oh, I mean, it was a total what the fuck moment. And, and that scene in, in Icarus, if you see me, I'm, I mean, I'm laughing in just disbelief that this is happening. And at the same time, I'm, I'm going, oh my God. I mean, this, this guy, I mean, he's, he's allowed us to film this. I mean, his, his job will be over his, and so we were dealing with this internally with my production team. Like, what do we do? Because this, you know, we had this riveting uh, thing on camera. You got a new movie now, by the way. This was not what you set out to do. No. And now you and the producers are going this way. And it's one thing to say that this guy might lose his job. But there was a lot more at stake ultimately for him than just his job. That's right. So we, so he brings my urine back. I go do this race essentially all doped i go to russia i spend a month with him in russia where he basically is going to test all my samples show that i'm clean we've built my biological passport we've done everything and i leave russia and the news of the investigation it's now november 2015 breaks and it's this 335 page report Ooh. and in this report 70 pages of it is Gregory Rachenkov saying that he's the mastermind of Russia's state-sponsored doping program, that he's been doping all of the athletes, concealing their positives, and it's still only limited to track and field. And the report isn't the actual evidence. It's still like uh, a smoking gun, but there's no bullet, there's no gun, there's no blood, but it's a lot of it's a lot of it's enough to essentially have the Moscow laboratory suspended. Gregory is forced to resign mm. and Putin comes on state television, not only denying all of these allegations, but essentially saying that if anything proves to be true, that it is the individuals that will be held accountable and punishment will be absolute. What's that mean, punishment will be absolute? That's a good question. But I think in Gregory's mind, knowing the Russian system, that meant that he was going to be pushed under the bus and there was going to be no accountability of the Russian ministry that essentially he was their employee helping them facilitate this state-sponsored doping program. Right, so what's that mean? How high up the chain does that go? If it's a state-sponsored doping program and he's the employee, how high up does that go? Who knew? Well, according to Gregory, Gregory was answering to a guy by the name of Yuri Nagornov, who was the deputy sports the deputy sport minister. But he was answering to a guy by the name of Vitaly Muko, who's the sport minister. And Mutko is Putin's best friend and was answering to Putin. And Gregory had multiple, multiple communications with Mutko. And Mutko was basically one step removed from Putin. And in the fallout of this scandal, Mutko is actually now the vice president of Russia, the, the deputy prime minister of Russia. So into, he has now been actually elevated to the, to the vice presidency of Russia. And um, so uh, this was incredibly serious. And what was clear to Gregory, um, as Russia was denying all the allegations, was that um, 
he believed that he was going to be essentially killed. And he had received um, information from other people at the FSB, the KGB, because he had FSB clearances because he was doing stuff for the ministry that was essentially a secret operation. And others within that organization said, Gregory, they've planned your suicide. And within a period of literally six days between this report breaking um, to him hearing that they're going to essentially kill him, um, I help him get a plane ticket, and he comes from Moscow to Los Angeles. I I book the ticket for him. Uh, We get him to Los Angeles. He flees. Um, Leaving behind a wife and kids? He leaves behind his wife and his two kids. Um, he believes that if he stays in Russia, he's going to be killed. We get him to Los Angeles, and over the next month, through hours and hours of conversations and interviews, what I come to learn and understand— Are you it, hiding this guy at this point? Yes. We've got him a, a, a safe house, uh, this little safe house in, in Santa Monica, like in the back of a garage— um, we've moved our production offices multiple times. We're editing and doing everything offline. But I didn't realize at that point how serious this was, how big it was. And as Gregory starts coming forward with the information and then showing the evidence, this is a scandal on unfathomable levels. Like, it, it, you you can't believe it, how... how um, deep it goes, how big it was, and essentially it was Russia cheating every single clean athlete on planet Earth for the last 40 years. 40 years? Yes, and every single medal they ever won in every single Olympic Games across every single sport, they essentially had cheated and doped. Not, Not one single clean athlete in four decades at the Olympics. Every Russian athlete was doped. There were a couple sports, according to Gregory, where they didn't dope the athletes. And the only reason why they didn't dope the athletes is they experimented on it and realized that um, in very fine motor sports that it wasn't helpful for, like, the women to be doped. Right. Um, But every other sport, anything that was strength, anything that was endurance, anything that was you know, uh, uh, where there was an edge to be to be gained, they had a system in place. Um, uh, I don't believe, if I remember, and I don't want to be quoted on this, I think the figure skaters uh, were not dope because they realized that it would make the women too big and that they needed their very, very fine motor skills. Um, and some of the, like, like ballerinas and that kind of stuff. But... Um, the investigation that um, ensued uh, found that there were over 1,000 athletes across all sports um, involved in the operation. So it is the vast majority of Russian athletes, essentially over all of modern Olympic history. Right. So if he was convinced that he was going to be killed, and by the way, and this is in the movie, one of his close friends was killed under very... Uh suspect circumstances but if he thought so and then you were doing your editing offline and you were moving your offices obviously you felt that they were trying to find you too did you ever feel like your life was in jeopardy or even now you know um i've been asked this question a lot and um i always say why would you shoot the messenger i mean i'm not the one who did this um gregory came to me because he wanted to set the record state straight. And in so doing, he became a whistleblower and essentially exposed this spectacular operation to essentially cheat across all international competitions. It wasn't just the Olympics. It was all international competitions involving Russian athletes. And, and in so doing, he took those extraordinary risks. And because he was willing to take those extraordinary risks, I felt my own obligation to help him bring that story forward. And so I was concerned. My producing partner and producing team was concerned. But 
I never felt like this was a story that I could shy away from. Um, never, never had one of those moments that I love this guy and I understand that he's put himself out there, but this is not what I signed up for. The FBI's involved, the State Department's involved. This is very, very heavy. I don't think I want to do this. Never had those moments? I had those moments. And then I also had those moments where I had been on the journey for two years at that point, And that journey was riding my bicycle 70 miles an hour down a mountain where at any moment you can basically be killed was, you know, injecting myself with all sorts of drugs for over a year and, and, and susceptible myself to all sorts of uh, various tests. I had, I had already taken extraordinary risks and I was so deep into it that at that point I, I truly felt and still felt this ethical obligation that the story had become so much bigger than me. It had become so much bigger than, than Gregory and it was essentially changing the history of sport. It was changing the history of the Olympics. It was changing, um, it was exposing something that the world needed to know. And so I felt this, this really, really heavy burden that how could I not help bring this story forward? Um, if you had been one of those thousands and tens of thousands of athletes who went into these Olympic Games or international competition believing in the rules of fair sport, believing in clean sport, believing that if you cheated that you would be caught and so you didn't cheat or you had the ethical or moral standard to try to go in there clean and then to find out that you lost to a cheater under a state-sponsored system, not an individual choice, not the choice of I'm Lance Armstrong and I'm going to make a personal choice to cheat and I'm doing it because I believe everybody else is doing it. But no, this is a country sponsoring the cheating to go and beat other countries on a global level. And I, and I just felt this tremendous obligation that it wasn't about me anymore. It was about, you know, on a global level and global sport um, that this story had to come forward. And I knew the evidence was there. I knew it was true. And so um, when, I, when I understood all that, it you didn't kept going. seem, yeah, I just kept going. You probably would need something like that to push through something like that and the pressure. I saw, I saw an interview that you did with some of your producers and one of the investors was saying, yeah, you know, this was fun. This is fun. I'm like, this doesn't seem like a lot of fun to me. It seems like a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. But in terms of a state-sponsored program, how did they game the system for as long as they did? What was the process? How did Gregory do that? It was it was so complicated because it was on so many different levels. And, and it evolved over a very, very long period of time. And most of this, the 98% of it, we don't even get into in the film. But it essentially evolved. I'll tell you one story that is... Um, that I think will be really interesting to, uh, to your listeners. So if you remember in 1984, Russia boycotted mm -hmm. the Olympic Games, right? And we as Americans and the world believed that they were boycotting those games because Ronald Reagan had come out saying that Russia was part of like a, uh, an access of, of evil. I don't remember his words. But basically the U.S. and Russia were not friends at that time. Russia was still a communist country. But... The real reason why they boycotted those games had nothing to do with Russian-U.S. relations. In the movie, you see this little part of the history of Gregory that he goes and visits Don Catlin in his laboratory, essentially to learn from Don Catlin how drug control is going to, to you know, how drug testing works. Well, this was actually uh, in... Uh, in late 1983, okay, and Gregory was essentially a spy mm. being sent over by the Russians to spy on Don Catlin, who's going to be doing the very first drug testing in the Olympics, right, uh, for the 1984 Games in Los Angeles. So Gregory, after studying with Don Catlin, realizes that the Russians are going to be caught that Russia does not have the anti-venom to the American tests and that all the Russian athletes who are 
all on steroids are going to be caught. So they come up with a plan that they're going to put a ship in the Long Beach Harbor. And this ship in the Long Beach Harbor is going to be Russia's doping lab, but all of the Russian athletes are going to be sleeping on this ship because, (laughs) according to Russia, it is unsafe that the Russian athletes reside on U.S. soil or sleep on U.S. soil. So they try to get this ship into the Long Beach Harbor. According to Gregory, essentially Reagan gets wind of this and Gorbachev, and Reagan's like, no, 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 no. no, no. We're not letting a Russian ship be in the Long Beach Harbor. So Russia (laughs) knew that every single one of their athletes were going to be caught for doping because the steroid washout period was like, Six or seven months. Yep. They knew Catlin was going to catch him, and so they boycotted the Olympics. They did not that boycott the Olympics. That was the reason the for the boycott. Right. Yes, they did not boycott the Olympics because of U.S.-Russian relations. They boycotted the Olympics because Russia wanted to come to those Olympics and dominate America, show itself as a force over America, show that communism and Russian power and their athletes were doped to the gills. They were all going to get caught, and when they realized that this was going to be a disaster for Russia, they boycotted the Olympics. Incredible. So this this story goes way back in time, but over this next 30 years, they keep developing methodology of how to game the system. And I tell you, the guys, the guys who cheat will always be one step ahead of those trying to run them down because the reward is still greater than the risk. That's part of the problem, right? They're always a step ahead. That's right. Nope. And, w- and when you look at, at what this means in the Olympics, I think what we forget about is The Olympics presents itself to the world as this peace, harmony, all of planet Earth coming forward and and peace and goodwill and shaking hands. And even if you're, you know, North Korean and you're American, when you get to those Olympic Games, you love each other. I mean, and that is a load of shit. It's like the most corrupt thing ever. Right. right? And so that's what that's what they sell. Okay, that's what they sell. But behind each one of these countries. Right. On a geopolitical level. Sure. China is going into those Olympics going, how do we assert our world power and our dominance? And they do that through sport. Because sport, as George Orwell has said, is war without the weapons. I was going to say it. Right? Exactly. That's it's war. what it is. It's war. I mean, when, just every single week when we tune in and watch the NFL and Denver is battling the New England Patriots, this is war. This is Denver is at war with New England, with Boston. And we know how, how ramped up we get as, as viewers of sports. So it's war. And all of these countries are viewing those Olympic Games as war without weapons. And to win, to get a medal, is showing that country to be dominant over the other. So for a country like Russia, who is a nuclear power, who has a very strong military, but economically, all these other things are really still in that second world category, their sport program was a lot more important to them than perhaps another country. And so those, so their ability to go into those Olympic Games and dominate, and in the case of Sochi, where they were hosting their Olympic Games, they had spent $50 billion on those games. To go into those games and then lose or not win would look like a staggering defeat to Russia. So the mandate, according to Gregory from Putin, was essentially to win at all costs. And so what they did in Sochi is— goes as high as Putin. He knew. Like, he he ordered—that was his mandate. He went all the way to the top. Look, I don't know that personally, but according to Gregory, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And because there was so much at stake. They were spending $50 billion on these Sochi games. And if you look at Vancouver in 2010, it was a staggering embarrassment for Russia— I, I, uh, don't quote me on this. I think they won a total of only 10 or 11 medals. Right. It was the worst that Russia had ever done in the Winter Games. And so now they're going to be hosting their next Olympics. No way that was happening at home. And they're going to go and basically be an, an embarrassment for all of Russia. So they figure out a system that essentially what they're going to do is they're going to collect the clean urine of all the Russians on the national team like a year ahead of time. Then they're going to have them dope, full tilt. And this is Gregory, the, by the way. The this, is, this is Gregory, right? This is Gregory, right? And what they had developed is they figured out with the help of the FSB, the KGB, is how to break in undetected into the urine collection bottles. 
So what Russia had figured out was if you could swap the urine, if you could swap the dirty say one urine, thing, those bottles, though, those, those are tamper-proof caps. You cannot get the caps without a special machine, right? You cannot get the caps off the bottles. Oh, yes. I mean, this is—so these bottles, backing up, so the way that the global anti-doping system in sport works, right, is an athlete after competition reports for testing. He pees into, like, basically a, a plastic cup. And then he splits his pee between an A sample and a B sample, an A, sam- an a bottle and a B bottle. He splits the urine, and then the athlete seals these bottles. And these bottles are like Fort Knox. They cannot be opened without this machine, and there's no way to break into these bottles undetected. Well, the FSB figured out how to get into these bottles using these little tools that they developed that they could literally break into these bottles. And in so doing, they could open up the B sample, the A sample they, they had the right to open because of for testing, but they would open up both of these bottles, dump out the dirty urine, swap in the clean urine. Gregory would then adjust the salt content in the urine. Basically, these B samples would be put into long-term storage, the A samples, which were opened legally, would be negative because it was clean urine. And by swapping out all the dirty urine for the clean urine, not only would no Russian athlete test positive, if they were to ever go back in history, they would all be negative. Mm-hmm. And they had created this foolproof system that the Russian athletes could essentially dope themselves throughout the entire Sochi games. And Russia goes on to win 33 medals at those games. And it's a and it's a massive success. It worked. It, it worked. worked until it didn't. So where is Gregory right now? So um, uh, we brought the story to the New York Times, and that was um, uh, in May of 2016. They broke the story that ended up uh, multiple ensuing investigations, and um, the FBI and Department of Justice got involved. And in mid-July of last year, Um, they brought him into protective custody and he has been in protective custody for the last year and a half. Um, there is still an ongoing, uh, investigation by the department of justice and the FBI, uh, into the scandal. They have not brought, uh, charges as of yet. And Gregory is remained in protective custody while he has continued to provide, information and evidence to WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and other investigations through all the various sporting federations. And what is at stake right now as to whether or not Russia will actually be allowed to compete in uh, the Winter Olympics coming up in Pyeongchang, I don't know how to pronounce that, Sure. Um, in February of this year. Um and so there is this ongoing investigative process by the IOC now because even though everything was already proven through these separate outside investigations, now the Olympics are investigating this separately essentially to figure out whether or not they can sweep this under the rug um, because there's nothing more that the Olympics would like to do than to make this go away because this is not good business Listen, the Olympics. exactly. If they're able to get away with this, and maybe you can help me with this, because this is part of why you got into it in the first place, who's using and who's not? What's rigged and what's not? Is anything we're seeing legitimate? Why would we not think that everything we're seeing is fixed? Well, that's that's the thing. I think you have to be able to separate yourself from the idea or notion of cheating and the love of sport. And because the reality is, is no matter how bad this Russian scandal is, um, there is always going to be another way to cheat, another way to cheat, another way to cheat, another way to cheat, so long as there's billions and billions and billions of dollars on the line. Um, athletes, humans, we're going to find a way to, to win. Because nobody remembers second place or third place. All that you remember is who won the gold medal or who won the Super Bowl or who won the World Series. That is what essentially Even worse, second place is matters. like last place. The, it, super, the team that doesn't win the Super Bowl is not the second best team, but the worst team in the NFL. 
It's not the case, of course, but that's the way it feels. That's the way that it feels. And so when, so when you understand that that's at stake, you understand that, that this is never going away um, because there's always going to be another way to outgame the system because on a technological scientific basis, we're still evolving. Humans are evolving. And so the same thing that we're reading um, that, you know, scientists believe in like the next 10 years that they're going to figure out how humans can live well past 100, 100 years old. And if you have, you know, enough money right now at the embryo stage, you can see to it that your kid has blue eyes. You can see to it that they have blonde hair. You can see to it that they're going to be six foot two and not develop prostate cancer, not have Alzheimer's, or not develop breast cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is happening, and it's happening now. So when you look at the future, well, what does that mean for the, for the future of sport? Meaning what, what are we going to accept or not accept? Because there are genetic alterations that are happening and they're going to happen, which is essentially longevity and better health. But with that is essentially performance enhancing. So, you know, for me, I, I look at it as the love of sport and I can still turn on my television. See, it's not cheating? Yes, well, it's cheating. But the question is, is, on is it a, ethical? The question is, is how do you, do you stop watching sport and loving what is innate human competition? And this has been going on throughout all of time. I mean, the, the gladiator games and the Greeks, I mean, they would take, you know, potions of opium and, and cocaine and all these, I mean, this is, this has been going on throughout all of time. I mean, okay, so now the NFL is realizing that they've got a problem with the sniffing salts, the ammonia sniffing salts, and they're going, wait, should, should, should this be allowed? So there's, there's... So, so Brown, what's the answer? If, if it's always gone on and it always will go on, do we just let everybody do it? How do you level the playing field? I don't know how you level the playing field. What I, what I do know is that if you're an athlete, you have to at least believe in the ethical position of the game, which is if you've agreed, even if it's just a handshake and there's no way to truly prove it, if you've agreed to play clean, then you should play clean. So under no circumstances am I advocating doping in sports? Am I advocating that there shouldn't be clean sport? Am I advocating that you shouldn't play by the rules? Because I think you should. So if that's deflating the ball and you shouldn't be doing that, well, you're you're breaking the rules. But the question becomes, I think, more of an ethical and moral question rather than, you know, a, a pure scientific one. Because what, what we are seeing throughout all of history is that there will always be other ways to game the system. And, and in the case of this Russia thing— it's state-sponsored, so it's a government doing it. And to me, though, that is on a whole other level than an individual choice because that is essentially a government mandating that its athletes, its employees, because they're employed by the Russian ministry or the same case in China, basically cheat to win. And I think that that's very different than a choice of an NFL player uh, deciding to use some HGH individual to help choice. recover and an individual choice. Well, if they're capable of doing that as a state in sports, what about the bigger picture? What else are they capable of? Well, I think that that is, you know, um, when we were editing uh, Icarus, um, the allegations um, were coming forward about the Russian uh, meddling in the U.S. election. And there was a declassified report uh, released in January of, of this year saying that there were seven reasons why they believed that the election was hacked. And reason number three was for what the intelligence it had, had gleamed was um, Putin's revenge for what he thought was the U.S. involvement in the doping scandal, meaning that in the Russian perspective, everything is a government operation even when it's not. 
And even though in the case of like this scandal, I know that the United States had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. This was Gregory coming out of Russia with all of his evidence um, and us working with Gregory and bringing this story forward. But Russia was going, okay, well, the guy had a, had a U.S. passport. He's under U.S. protective custody. The FBI and, and CIA uh, and Department of Justice are involved in an investigation. He's being protected by the United States. Uh, the story was broken to the New York Times, an American publication. It was uh, – Canadians were involved in WADA. This must be a United States conspiracy to embarrass Russia. Mm. Um, and so you know, perhaps we should hack their election. Uh, among many other reasons. Um, so I made a choice editorially to not bring any into that any of that into the film because I wanted the film in Icarus to stick to the facts. And the facts of Icarus is the truth as we know it, which has been proven, which has been forensically proven, which has been corroborated, and to not go into a world of conjecture. But certainly I think the film is a keyhole into the extent to which Russia is willing to meddle in global affairs to assert its dominance and power and its political agenda. And we're certainly seeing this in terms of the U.S. election. And what we see from Russia is there's never any accountability for action ever. So they aren't like ISIS where they take accountability, where they do something and they go, yeah, that. that was us. Yep. What, what Russia does and their entire history of it is they do it and they deny and they deny and they deny. And it doesn't matter how much evidence is put forward against them, which is what we're seeing in the election meddling. We're going, wait, there's millions of facebook ads i mean i'm reading today that they that these facebook ads they think impacted like 125 million people and the twitter campaign and all of what is now coming forward yet the russian line is what it has always been we didn't do it uh putin was with trump two days ago putin said we didn't do it and trump said i believe him mm. so you know this isn't this isn't surprising and there's been zero accountability, but I think that, that the evidence speaks for itself. And the evidence shows not only did they do this, they've done this through essentially all of sport history. And the question is, is what is going to be the punishment? And what is concerning right now is three days ago, Putin came out on state television, an actual press conference. This is in the news, blaming the doping scandal on America saying that this was a conspiracy of the United States government to try to impact the upcoming Russian presidential elections in March. And the reason why he's saying this is that he's deeply concerned that Russia will be sanctioned, possibly eliminated from these upcoming Winter Olympics, which is a terrible, you know, punch in the face to his presidency and the Russian opponent to him, Sobchak, his main opponent in the upcoming presidential election, has grasped on to the doping scandal and is calling for Russia to take accountability and to admit that this happened, to have the ministry admit that this happened, to which they refuse. So this scandal is actually becoming not only this massive international crisis for all of sport, but it is has the ability to actually change the course of the upcoming Russian presidential elections. How about this, Brian? How about changing the course of history to a certain extent, my friend? And you were right in the middle of this. If you take a step back of this, and I'm not saying that you did anything other than your job and a very good job at that, but you had an influence on this. These things possibly do not, obviously do not come to light if you don't make this movie and do what you did. Do you feel like you're in some way affecting the course of at least recent history. Not sports history, but history, international relations between the countries and the like. Well, um, I think when uh, the uh, Russian administration has formally asked uh, the United States to extradite Gregory Rachenkov, um, which is an incredibly, incredible rare request that Russia asked for the extradition. 
uh, and there is no extra extradition treaty between the U.S. and Russia, um, you can understand the gravity of this situation and how serious this is to Russia because for Russia to get Rachenkov back, they can then blame it all on him and Putin's administration can essentially say, look, we got the bad guy instead of taking accountability for a fraud that no single man could have orchestrated. This was a massive operation, has been proven. But in the course of history, um, I knew when, when Gregory came forward uh, to myself and my producers and the, the, the team of the information that he had, the evidence that he had, I knew that this was um, a very, very serious um, situation and and what I would liken to a, to a bomb, to a really big bomb. And, um, and, I, and I made a choice that um, this story needed to come forward because the world needed to know this story. And I felt that every clean athlete on planet Earth who had essentially been cheated, and of course there are other countries, I'm sure, that have carried out operations like this, you cannot truly uh, unequivocally say somebody is clean or not. But to all those clean athletes across the world over these last decades of sport that went into these international competitions clean, believing in that ethical and moral code of sport that they were going to compete cleanly and were robbed of their medals, were robbed of the chance to be on that podium, were robbed of the glory that was owed to them, um, I felt a tremendous obligation to that truth, to help bring that story forward. And so as scary as it might have been for myself and, and my team, um, Gregory desperately wanted to bring this story forward. He desperately wanted to, to be a whistleblower, to let the world know what had happened. And, uh, and he entrusted me with that information, and I felt a, a strong... Uh, sense of moral and ethical obligation uh, to see to it that that information was brought forward. And that was uh, the, the choice that was made. And what I'm reading in the papers literally today and every day is that the story is continuing to unfold. The outcome is still not certain. And um, I think that the, the future of the credibility of the Olympic Games um, is in the balance because if the Olympic organization doesn't take a spectacularly strong stance, what they are saying to every single clean athlete on planet Earth and to every country on planet Earth is that this behavior is acceptable and we are willing to look the other way. And what message does that send to every single kid who dreams of going to the Olympics? And every athlete on planet Earth at one point has that dream to himself I'm going to go to the Olympics. And if you know that the organization itself does not stand up for your values, does not uphold the actual rules that they set forward, which is play fair, be true, be clean, and these are these Olympic values, and you know that they're going to spit in your face to protect another country for their own pocketbook, for their own economic game, then you have to question why have the Olympics, period if the games are fixed. So this is a, a major moment in, in the entire Olympic movement coming up the next month, what the decision they make, but also it is setting a precedent as to what sort of behavior is going to be tolerated moving forward in sport. The documentary is absolutely brilliant. It would seem self-evident at this point, but it's not to everybody. If people would like to see Icarus, how do they find the movie? Uh, it is streaming on Netflix. Um, it was released the first week of August, and it is in 190 countries and streaming on Netflix. Um, and the amazing thing uh, uh, about Netflix is that um, the movie has the power to stay and to be seen rather than to come into a theater and come and go in two weeks. Um, it's on the platform, and uh, and I think that it stands as a... As, um, as a reminder as to why we should care. And I'm hoping that people will see this and not just see it for the implications that it has in sport, 
but also for the implications that it has politically. Because I think as a country, we're in this moment of fake news. We're in this moment where the truth no longer matters. And what you see in the film is that the truth doesn't matter, that the truth is able to be swept under the carpet and put forward as propaganda. And America is dealing with that every single day. I mean, I read today that the current administration comes out with five and a half lies per day that are proven. Five and a half lies. And we had to decide whether or not we're going to continue to accept this sort of irresponsible behavior from our leaders. And what we're seeing out of Russia, very sadly, is mirroring itself in, um, in the United States right now. And I'm hoping that um, it's only the people that can make change. And, uh, and hopefully the, the film um, is, a, is a reminder to, to why the truth matters. Brian, one last thought, and you've heard this quite a bit. And by the way, you're not through with this project yet. You have not seen this thing to its end, and I want to acknowledge that. But when you look at your journey from aspiring pro cyclist to stand-up comedian to playwright to actor to director to filmmaker and now a groundbreaking documentary, what in the world are you going to do to top this? Go to Disneyland. Ferguson is the nation's largest distributor of plumbing products, but their playbook goes much deeper than just plumbing. Pros know to depend on Ferguson for the very best in waterworks, HVAC, commercial mechanical, builder, and facilities maintenance products and solutions. Ferguson has over 20,000 knowledgeable associates, and they're always working for you. You combine that with Ferguson's 1,400 locations and 24-7 online ordering, and you will always have the home team advantage. See why the pros pick Ferguson at ferguson.com today. That's ferguson.com. Thank you so much for listening to episode 13 of the Jim Rome Podcast. If you have not done it already, go back and give the other 12 a spin because if you like this one, you're going to love the conversations with Nate Boyer, Bob Costas, Harvey Levin, Adam Carolla, Kevin Frazier, and more. You already know the drill about subscribing and reviewing and how much we appreciate all that, and we do. But don't stop there. I would love your feedback on Twitter. Hit me up at Jim Rome. Let me know what you think. And if you need something to get you through until next Tuesday, you can always check out the daily radio program every noon till 3 Eastern on CBS Sports Radio and streaming live on JimRome.com. Or catch it on demand via the Daily Jungle podcast, also available through iTunes and Google Play. Again, thank you so much for listening and supporting. Episode 14 drops on Tuesday the 21st. I will see you then. For now, I am out.